0: This is Cody Smith, and you're listening to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. You guys, this is going to be a great interview today. This is a recording of an interview I had with Mr. Chad Wesley smith of Juggernaut Training Systems. Chad is, uh, in my opinion, one of the smartest people that I've ever talked to um, in the strength conditioning world. I mean... Uh, and you'll kind of hear from his story. He's done so much in the strength conditioning world from, you know, the types of athletes he's trained, the, the level of athletes he's trained, the the type of people that he's put himself around um, in the industry. And, and, you know, we really go into all of that story today. And then we jump into some basic principle design or uh, program design around Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then, um, you know, the various other types that he's uh, dealt with over the past few years from Olympic lifting to power lifting uh to to different track and field athletes. I mean, again, Chad is a, a wealth of knowledge, and this was one of the more informative interviews that I've done in a long time. And it was an absolute pleasure to sit down with him. So uh as always, guys, first and foremost, please take a few moments to head on over to iTunes, give the show a five-star rating and review. That's how we grow the show and that's how we get in front of more people who want to learn about strength conditioning and fitness. Um, you know, and that that comes from you helping out us. And then the second thing you could do would be to take a screenshot on your phone, post it on your Instagram story, and then tag both Chad and I in it. He is at Chad Wesley Smith on Instagram, and I am at Coach Cody Smith. And then I love when you guys do that because uh, for one, it gives me an opportunity to connect with you in uh, the DMs, and then more importantly, I just love to see who is listening to the show. And um, guys, without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get Chad on the show. Um, Enjoy the interview, and then I will see you on the next episode. All right, what's up, you guys? Welcome back to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. I have the pleasure to actually be joined by Mr. Chad Wesley Smith of Juggernaut Training. Um, I, we've been trying to connect here for the past few weeks, and and you know, luckily we were able to put it together and get on the show today. Uh, it uh, is a pleasure to have some of your time today, Chad. How you doing?
1: Uh, doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome, man. So. Um, Really, I was really excited to get you on it and I had posted up on my um, Instagram story and, and got some questions in here. So I figured we would start with, you know, who you are in a nutshell for the small 0.5% of the population out there that doesn't already know who you are. And then, um, you know, we'll go through those questions and, and really just see where it takes us. So um, Chad, in a nutshell, man, you know, who are you and, and uh, what have you been up to? Uh,
1: I'm the, the founder of Juggernaut Training Systems, uh, started in 2009
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, as an athlete, Two-time collegiate national champion in the shot put, Uh, 2,325-pound total, uh, raw with wraps as a powerlifter, professional strongman, Uh, jiu-jitsu, blue belt, recreational golfer. Uh, As a coach, I've coached athletes in the NFL, like did combine prep for Joe Burrow last year, um, consultant for NFL teams. Um, you know Olympic track and field consultant for UK athletics coach to Sean Donnelly US number one hammer thrower 2016 Olympian in the shop with Nicholas Scarvelis multiple US bobsled uh, team USA bobsled athletes uh, and then in powerlifting coach people like five time USAPL national champion Marissa Inda Brandon Allen one of the biggest totals of all time Andy Huang one of the biggest totals of all time uh, two 1,000-pound raw squatters, 12, I think, uh, over 500 Wilkes. Um, That's... It about sums
0: it up. <laughs> and it's funny too, you know, as you're going through those, I'm like thinking of, I'm hearing all these different sports, right? Like shot put and, and all these different things. And um, even for yourself, you know, I I pretty much came like to know you through, you were actually on a podcast a long time ago. Uh, it was like the Barbell Life with uh, Travis Mash. And um, you were- A long time ago. Yeah, yeah, that was, I mean, shoot, that had to have been like seven or eight years ago. Um, and back then, I, I'm pretty sure you were still competing at a very high level. I believe in Strongman. At the time, and um,
1: probably power, probably powerlifting. But I I only did strongman for okay, um, thirteen months, something like that.
0: Okay, cool. And and I remember, I remember, I couldn't remember what sport it was, but um, I know that they were really they were already talking about then, and you know, you just went through your accolades and stuff like that. But they were already talking about then about all the different sports that you had, um, like coach and participated in. Um, so I'm curious. This is a little bit off. it's not I don't even have this written down, but um. You know, with all those strength things and, and, you know, like now you're doing golf, um, where does like this pursuit of like all these different hobbies come from? Uh, boredom. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: You know, my, my background, my background is as a, as a sport performance coach. I started as a strength and conditioning coach for football and track and field when I was 19 years old, mm-hmm. uh, doing that in parallel to my own collegiate track career and a short post collegiate track career. So. You know even when i started powerlifting in 2010 i was not uh, the gym that you know the original juggernaut or gym was not a powerlifting gym mm-hmm. uh we were a sport performance gym i was coaching jiu guys and water polo players and swimmers and football players and soccer players and basketball and volleyball and all that stuff um and you know just developed through that a a breadth of understanding of of how human performance works mm-hmm. um so you know, competing in powerlifting for myself was kind of a natural outlet when I finished um, my track and field career. My my coach had passed away about nine months before, so I was left with uh, you know with no coach and in starting Juggernaut at that time as well. You know, working seventy five hours a week, competing against guys who you know were more or less professional shot putters and uh, still had a coach. So it was an uphill battle for me. So like, oh, I'm, I'm already strong, so let's. Uh, you know, let's go to a powerlifting meet. I'd never even been to a powerlifting meet when I when I went to my first one to compete in it. Um, and it was just such a different sport. And even 2010, only 10 years ago, it was so much smaller. And then I did that for a couple of years, and I was like, okay, I, I did this. Uh, I'd squatted 900. I'd made what at the time was the third biggest total in the world in, in the 308s class. Um, and powerlifting, it's the same thing over and over you know so I was kind of bored with it in a sense so I was taking time just to focus on our business you know as any new business owner knows that takes a lot of attention and then I was like oh, oh the strongman contest that seems interesting it was in five days I saw one signed up five for one five days later i would never done pretty much any of the events so I just hopped in that and then that was fun and okay, I, did, I did that I Started doing strongman in in March of 2012. I won uh, I won nationals in November of 2012 to earn my pro card. Cool strongman did it. Uh, <laughs> then with a back injury uh, that kind of took me away from bolts for a little bit. Came back powerlifting more. But when when you come from a sport I think that's more dynamic, uh, like track and field was, which I started doing when I was eight years old.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Powerlifting becomes tedious and to do it at the level that I was doing it, you know, I think when I made my total it was the ninth heaviest of all time in the sport of powerlifting, it, it's, it's an all in investment, um, of your time, your energy, your body. And it just wasn't one that I was interested in making anymore. Mm-hmm. So after like, uh, right. Nine, 10 months went by with no, Competing, no focused training, I realized that my whole life I'd trained for something. Uh, I started playing sports, you know, organized sports when I was four years old. When I was eight years old, the first time I was going to play football, my mom said that I was getting all the bungee cords that you'd use to, like, tie, tie stuff down in the back of a truck <laughs> yeah. and putting those around my waist around a tree in the backyard and running band-resisted sprints when I was eight years old. That wasn't like I had some crazy dad or something who was, oh, you got to do this, you know, I'd, I'd watch a bunch of Rocky movies and little giants. And I was like, Oh, this seems like a good idea. Let me do that. So I was tra- I was training, you know, for, when I was a kid, I always trained for something. So when I had that time where I wasn't training for anything, it was very boring to me. So I was like, Oh, you know, I don't really feel like going back to powerlifting. What's a new challenge. So, uh, early in Juggernaut, some of my first clients were jujitsu, uh, jujitsu athletes, jujitsu arrows. And, uh, they're always, oh, coach, coach Chad, you're gonna train, you're gonna smash everybody, come on, <laughs> and I didn't want to train Jiu-Jitsu back then. You know, hurt my arm, hurt my wrist, hurt my shoulder, whatever it is, uh, throw off my lifting at the time. But you know, at late 2017, I was like, okay, let's see if I really can smash everybody. And uh, <laughs> so, reach out to one of the guys I used to coach. Showed up there, 365 pounds, fat, out of shape not even by my standards really strong anymore because the the previous 10 months of that I hadn't been training hard uh, you know when I say not strong by my standards I was still you know squatting 750 benching 500 uh, but when you've done 950 and 550 it's not the same. so you know I, I just got to go into something and be a total beginner and totally anonymous. Too. Uh, I always laugh. My head instructor, Professor uh, Philippe De La Monica, fourth degree black belt. You know, which he's been a black belt for 14 years, uh, and is only 30, 35. So he's about as young as you could get when he gets black belt. And the first day I'm in, I'm in class, and I've known Philippe for 10 years. You know, coached him for two or three years training and conditioning, and we're going through class. End of the day, you know, bowing to everyone at the end. Saying, saying, uh, you know, good class, good training, whatever. And Philippe is like, "Oh, Coach Chad, good class." And you could see everyone kind of turn and like, Coach Chad. I'm like, why is Professor Philippe calling this guy, Coach? You know, this day one, this day one, fat white belt. Um, they might have not thought that, but I thought that they were thinking. So, you know, it was fun to be like totally anonymous in that compared to like a powerlifting meet or something. You go there and and it's it's fun, you know that people want to take a picture with you or something like that, or you know, oh, can you look at my squat on the showing the video on the phone, uh, getting the free consult kind of thing. Um, but it gets a little tiresome. Uh, it's just like kind of where wears on you the expectation and stuff. So to go to to jujitsu and people will be like, what's powerlifting? I don't know what that is um if they if it even came up that was kind of fun uh and then you know got really into that and training six days a week and and multiple times a day and and yeah I just like to continually find new ways to destroy my body <laughs> uh so with jitsu i I last year had a pretty successful year as a competitor third at Pan Am's third at worlds at blue belt uh then a couple different little injuries, sciatica stuff, really bad from existing herniated disc for powerlifting, and a ruptured tendon and this pinky, that's as straight as it goes, and this thumb in back-to-back weeks. Uh, that kind of took took me out a little, <laughs> a little bit and I was like, right, I do a hobby that I don't get quite so beat up at. So still still training jujitsu a couple of days a week, but this whole year has been weird for everyone, obviously, not, not a lot of competitions anyways. But one thing that was open was golf. Um, and I played some when I was a little kid with my dad with my grandparents, so it just kind of seemed like a good outlet where, you know, nothing was open, but golf courses were open, so like, oh, let's try and play golf again, so it's been a fun new, uh, frustrating challenge, so that's funny long, long answer to a no, short no, that, question.
0: That's, that's perfect context too because again like when i started following you you know years and years ago you know i i would come to your table uh one of my clients he uh, was a higher level olympic lifter you know so uh, i came to your table at you know american open on the east coast and then uh, i believe i came to your table again at nationals a handful of years years ago when it was in dallas and Um, You know, throughout that time from seeing you in person, from watching you compete, it seems like there's always like another sport. Um, And what's funny about that is, So I run a martial arts studio, I'm a purple belt. And uh, when you started training and you had posted a picture and then i saw that Dr. Isertel was training too, the first thing I thought about was like, oh my God, I would hate to be under that dude in any <laughs> sort of position, right? Because you take a person who, cause I can think of like guys that I've trained over the years. When you take somebody who is uh, very massive and strong and just a, a powerful person, also athletic, and then you teach them a little bit of technique, there's some really scary stuff that comes from that. Um, now, however, there are so there are also some other things where like they kind of struggle with not using that strength. Um, what would yeah, you first, say? First were, like, I should, yeah, uh, I was going to say like what were some of those things that you had trouble with, like transferring from a sport where it requires you to be strong to something like jujitsu, where you know it's more technical specific and a little less strength.
1: Yeah. So for, first day I showed up, you know, Philippe was he said train train like you're weak.
0: Yeah, you know?
1: and I, I have kept that in mind the whole the whole time. Probably to a fault, even in some situations where, sure. as I've developed a little bit, you know, my own game, okay, my asset is size, strength, power, th- that I avoid using that a lot of times mm-hmm. in, in training and being able to flip that switch in competition. Maybe it's not as, you know, proficient as it should be sometimes. Though, generally, you know, the times that I've competed, it's like, I love to go against the, when you're in ultra heavy, is 220 plus. So a huge, huge range of guys. I've had guys who were probably 221 and guys who were 350. And I'd much rather go against the guy who's his gym's strong guy. And that's his game is being the strong guy because mm-hmm. like, well, you ain't stronger than me. So let's let's play that game all, all you want. Rather than the, <clears throat> yeah, I lost to at, at Worlds at Blue Belt. Um, he was probably 6'4, like 225, 230. So barely uh, ultra heavy. And He tried to jump guard on me and then I stack passing him and he inverts and I was like, inverted guard? This is not allowed in all the heavy. You're not supposed to do that. Um, So that's something I've always been very mindful of, of of not using the the strength. So the big challenge is, it it was not a big challenge really to like kind of go light. I I try and train more light and fast than I do heavy until it's like time to settle on a position. But uh, the the mobility part of things, uh, especially like hip internal rotation, hip uh, external rotation, so significant in powerlifting, like you know trying to keep your knees over your toes in the squat kind of thing. But hip internal rotation is you're fighting against that for so much stuff. So so much mobility, you know, playing guard, so much mobility of moving on your back and 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 shrimping and hip escaping comes from hip internal rotation. So that's been a tough thing, playing open guard, any kind of open guard. It's like, well, having huge legs is cool for squatting and, and deadlifting, but when you're on your back and you're having to hold, you know, I'm having to hold my, what I I mean, I peak powerlifting is 170 kilos, 375 pounds, I had like 37 inch quads. The, uh, trying to hold those up in the air is hard work for me and gravity is already working against so yeah. anyone who wants to come and push their push my legs down. So that that part was tough. Just developing the the conditioning and being able to, you know, set the ego aside. Like I've been tapped by plenty of, uh, of hundred and sixty five pound dudes, and I remember in, being in guard rotation, and and we have this really good uh, girl who just came out of a juvenile blue belt and won like everything there, and. Uh, the first time you know she comes to, to me in the guard rotation i was like i don't really know what i'm how hard am i supposed to go against this this little girl here so granted i was kind of going easy but she she passed my my guard and i was like okay whatever i go back in line and i'm telling i'm telling marissa my girlfriend about it two or three days later and i should you not that we're walking up to the grocery store and this girl, Alana, is standing outside the grocery store selling Girl Scout cookies. Oh my goodness! And, I was like, <laughs> and so I'm like, "Oh hey, Alana, what's up?" And, and you know, buy some cookies, obviously. Yeah. And then as we walk in the store, Marissa's like, "Is that the girl you were just talking about?" I was like, "Fuck <laughs> yes, it was." Oh, uh, I got in guard passed by a Girl Scout. So you know, setting the ego aside, I think, is something important for everyone in Jiu Jitsu and coming into it with. Having been successful in several other sports, it was even tougher for me to do to be like, all right, we're we're starting over because there's of course being strong helps, but you know it's not um, certainly not a one to one transfer like coming out of of shot put throwing the shot put to powerlifting first day you know first meet squat eight hundred pounds like could be immediately good first, second strongman contest. Could be immediately good. Didn't really work like that in Jiu-Jitsu.
0: Yeah, it's funny. You, you know, you're talking about the weight class there. Like I competed in that weight class that you're talking about. So I'm 225, 6'5", and uh, I, I'm just, again, like projecting very much so I'm like oh my gosh I could only imagine like if you know just an example you were talking about open guard like so I'm thinking okay I'm an open guard Chad you know grabs a hold of my you know the sleeves of my pants like what am I going to do like you just got to kind of go with it right Um, but that's cool And, and you know I have found that it is harder for you know stronger guys to really not use that so I you know I'm CrossFit background and not strong by any stretch of the imagination compared to some of the people that you were kind of listening out and and probably yourself, but still stronger than most people on the mat. And trying my best to like not use that strength has been a very big challenge throughout, but it was also something that I learned how to channel it to specific times where it made sense versus not making sense. So um, that's cool that you've kind of worked on that and been able to transfer through that. You've also now gone into, like doing a lot of strength training, a lot of programming for those guys. And um, that was pretty cool when I saw that you started to do that because i had had many a conversations as we had opened our gym because we're connected to – like I own a fitness gym and then I own a jiu-jitsu gym, and they're interconnected. And um, that was something that I had talked about with the you know some of the jujitsu guys about how there wasn't really good quality strength training out there for jujitsu jitsu specific competitors. And then, you know, you kind of burst on the scene with your AI and all the different programs and that content that you guys were putting out. Was that – Was that because of some of the holes that you had seen really, like I was just kind of talking about it, like not good strength training out there? Or was it just a need with like your local population of people that you were working with specifically?
1: So, uh, you know, for coaching, coaching uh, jiu-jitsu strength conditioning, I think a lot of people are like, oh, okay. so Chad started doing jiu-jitsu. Now he thinks he's a jiu-jitsu strength conditioning coach. Or And people joke like, oh, when's the golfing, golfing AI coming out? And I started coaching jiu-jitsu strength and conditioning in, uh, about January, 2010, uh, So 10 years in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when, when we first opened Juggernaut, I had graduated college two months before, uh, I'd coached high school football on track for, for three years, but I, that's what I did. I mean, I was going to school, throwing the shot point and coaching the high school stuff. I wasn't a personal trainer or anything. I didn't have any established client base. So I just go in and we're like, okay, let's, uh, we we'll start getting some clients, uh, and we we'll start cold calling gyms. First place I called, OC Muay Thai. A guy was such a dick <laughs> to me. I, I remember my, my business partner and I walking out of that place, like our first meeting, like trying to trying to sell people on our services. And this is like you know CrossFit, two thousand end of two thousand nine. CrossFit is nothing, you know. People like it's it's just a totally different culture of who even knows what a uh, you know a squat and deadlift is back then, and so we're, we walk away from the OC Muay Thai guy, so discouraged. Next place we call Gigante Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Talk to this guy, very thick Brazilian accent. And he's like, yeah, you know, come come by the gym later and we'll, we'll talk. And I was like, awesome. So I walk in, 6'7", 250-pound Brazilian guy, Fabio Vilela, giganchinho. And I, I walk in there and I'm like, shit. You know, and, and I don't know, you know, Jiu-Jitsu from... My ass, you know, uh, when I walk in there, it's not like okay, Hoist Gracie is part of. It's a significant part of MMA, like wrestling with pajamas on, more or less. Like as a coach, for me to do like a needs assessment kind of thing for an athlete, it's not terribly tough to, to watch a sport for not that long and sort of figure out what's going on, what's needed. But so I explained to Fabio how I think we could, you know, help his strength and conditioning. I was like, you know, I'll coach you. For free like if you like it tell your students tell you tell your friends two weeks i'm just coaching fabio you know we've been open for a month like i got i got time Mm -hmm. you know i got a lot more time than i got money at that point so so working with this guy and he's he's loving it and then he's like oh can i can i bring you know one of my training partners cool guy uh, shows up with him Ulpiano Piano Malachias he runs now Gracie Baja West Chase uh, in Houston Texas like 900 students there oh wow um, so he shows up with him and, and this guy Piano is just a fucking rough scary looking dude crazy cauliflower ear fighting MMA you know fast forward nine months from that and now my Jiu Jitsu group is you know, Hamlu Bahao, seven-time world champion. Otavio Sousa, he just won his fourth Pan Am title at Black Belt uh, this past Pan Am's. Kyron Gracie, um, yeah, you know, that's that's Master Carlos's son, like the prince of, of jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Uh, Victor, Victor Estima, uh, Roberto Alencar Tusa, John Jones, uh, jiu-jitsu coach, Holly Holm, all, all those folks out in New Mexico. Uh, Felipe Pena, you know, regarded by many as the best jiu-jitsu player in the world now is showing up purple belt is a purple belt then. And so I have all these guys like 12, 15 black belts training, training all together when, when we're in like our last bit of camps for Pan Ams or, or Worlds. And I just like, OK, you know, this is cool. Like we have a lot of black belts and, and stuff. It didn't really resonate with me at the time, I think, how special that that was um the group that we had but you know so i've been coaching string conditioning for jujitsu for 10 years um so as far as making the the content piece of it you know in part yeah to share the better string conditioning because it's a sport that's way behind uh in that in that regard and you know once i once you made every video there is on how to do squat bench and deadlift for powerlifting oh, well we got to keep making some videos so yeah the uh yeah, but there are mass, massive holes in it. It's a, a very underserved, misinformed community in a lot of regards. Like jujitsu practitioners love to attach themselves to these ideas, whether it's oh you just need to train jujitsu, or like you know jujitsu and yoga, or kettlebells. That's the best thing for for jujitsu, or you know whatever it is. A very dogmatic in approaches to that, where you know to sprinkle a little. Real sports science and can uh, can go a long way.
0: Yeah, I love that too. And uh, so give us some examples. Like what are some things that you've kind of added in? And, and I say added in, but what are some, you know, common practice principles that we use a lot in the strength and conditioning community that you've sort of implemented with, you know, because again, I've got a bunch of people listening to this that are jujitsu practitioners, I've got a bunch of coaches. Um, I'm sure I've got coaches that work with jujitsu practitioners. What are, you know, some principles or just some ideals or, or frameworks that you put around writing, you know, a program that will best serve a jiu-jitsu player?
1: Yeah, so the, the biggest thing I'd, I'd say is that, well, if, if I was to look at mistakes that I see a lot of people doing, the first one, and it's one that I've made before, is strength and conditioning coaches are doing too much conditioning, you know. And, and uh competitive jiu-jitsu guy is probably already training six-plus times a week and they're rolling hard and they're getting tons of conditioning there. They're not going to the weight room to do more conditioning. They're going there to get stronger. So that needs to be the the you know force production needs to be the, the first focus and injury you know injury prevention alongside of that. Then it's another big mistake that people make is they try and take a strength sports program and jiu-jitsu guys just trying they're like I'm going to do this powerlifting program. I'm going to do this weightlifting program for jiu-jitsu. And it's like, that's just not the goal. Is it better than nothing? Sure. Is it better than a, is a good powerlifting program better than a badly organized jiu-jitsu program? Probably. But, uh, you know, so I'm really looking more at just movement categories for the guys. So we're doing some kind of squat, some kind of hip hinge, hip extension exercise, some kind of press, some kind of pull, some kind of twist, some kind of carry and training the neck. And even really high level jiu jitsu practitioners, maybe have. I, I was really shocked, especially having a lot of guys straight from Brazil, but black belts who had no experience with any kind of strength and conditioning, push ups, pull ups, sit ups, but that was about it. Um, so, very rudimentary movements uh, were helpful. You know, really got a lot of bang for your buck with that. And a lot of the guys' bodies are so fucked up. You know, like uh, the, Whether it's their shoulders, their wrists, their elbows are limiting their ability to, to press uh, anything significant. Their their low back is is bad from playing a ton of guard. Their their knees are really like loose and unstable uh, for guys who play a lot of open guard and or, or you know getting leg locked and all that kind of stuff. So you got to you can't be married to these specific exercises that you know, high bar back squat is like that's the best exercise or front squat is the best exercise or conventional deadlift is the best exercise because one, those just don't matter for any, if, if squat bench and deadlift isn't in your sport, you don't have to squat bench and deadlift. The only thing you have to do is practice your sport. So when you're looking at selecting exercises, we're looking at the movement categories and then choosing exercise in that category based on can the athlete do the exercise safely, you know, is their technique good? Uh, Can they produce some output in it? If you're there to get stronger, you have to, you know, be able to put some decent weight on the bar. So, you know, like some coaches would love something like an overhead squat, let's say, because they're like, Oh, it's mobility and stability and, and strength all combined. It's like, sure. But if the athlete can't lift any significant weight on it compared to a you know, a, a trap bar deadlift or something, like what's the point? Because uh, it's not going to make them stronger. So they had to be able to produce some output on it. So if that requires modifications like, you know, box squat instead of regular squat, trap bar deadlift instead of conventional deadlift, higher handles, elevating the bar and blocks, squatting up of pins, whatever it is, um, you make that decision. So we're can they do the exercise well, safely? Can they produce output? And then how does it fit within the bigger context of their their plan, maybe they can, you know, maybe you have someone who can conventional deadlift really well. I very rarely choose that for any of my jiu-jitsu guys, but if they're also training a lot of jiu-jitsu at the time, which almost all competitive jiu-jitsu guys are all the time, uh, putting that extra stress on their low back is probably not useful. So doing something like a belt squat, you know, or, or split squat variations may be a better choice. And then that, that's another, you know, a bigger training organization issue is that jujitsu guys very rarely treat the treat things like any like there's any season to it it's just always always jujitsu same amount of jujitsu all the time um and yeah you know, they're jumping into comp, you know, competitions kind of randomly so i think some bigger organization of creating like an annual plan is would be significant for a lot of people as well as creating more organization within their week and, and people are handcuffed by this in some senses with, you know, if, if you're like me and you're someone who goes to class at your, at your school, well, you know, your con, the constraints of what the class are, uh, the classes are is limiting. But if you're a really high level competitor and you're kind of everything is like open mat more or less
0: mm-hmm.
1: creating some, some structure, especially like a high, low structure where some days are more intense training, and you're pairing that with your more intense uh, off-the-mat training so that the next day can be just like some aerobic capacity stuff and drilling. So every day isn't the same, uh, as well as even going a step further with that to, all right, today we're going to focus mostly on understanding, and today we're going to focus mostly on passing. There, there There's a lot of uh, faults I see even in extremely successful competitors things that they could do to organize their training a lot better, where a lot of people are just like, let's get as many tough guys as we can and put them in the same room and see who comes out the other side. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest thing I'd say is is the exercise selection, not getting married to specific movements, but rather looking at the categories and then understanding how heavy you need to lift for Is you know even the strongest jiu-jitsu guys I've trained. Uh, yeah, three-time runner-up in the open weight to Hondra Gracie. He looks like a like a G.I. Joe and super strong jiu-jitsu guy and if you train with him, oh my God, it's un- unbelievable how strong he feels. But even him, 500-pound deadlift at you know, 190, 200 pounds body weight. like That's for jiu-jitsu guys, like, oh my God, he is so strong and feels so strong. But if a 190-pound guy goes to a powerlifting to and deadlift's 500, no one's batting an eye. So to get to that, oh my God, he's so strong for jiu-jitsu guys, is, does not require dedicated powerlifting training or dedicated weightlifting training to achieve those levels. It's just well-organized, you know, progressive training, but the number on the bar going up is more a byproduct of well-organized training rather than the objective of it.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with that too. Because uh, the the folks that I've worked with inside of the jujitsu community is very similar. It's like, look, um, I care less about you know you pring every single cycle, and more about like how it's affecting your jujitsu. Like, are you feeling stronger? Are you feeling uh, like your joints are more stable? Are we avoiding injuries as much as possible? And um, sometimes I, I find that's kind of hard because it, they. Uh, they often forget that, you know, we're doing the strength and conditioning for our jujitsu. It's yeah. not you do jujitsu and you're trying to get good at strength and conditioning. It's like the, the, you know, one is supposed to be feeding the other. So um, I love that you, you know, that's the frame that you put on it. And I hope that the people listening and the coaches listening to that can really get on board with that because um, ultimately that will serve the client best and make sure that they can do their, and, and really, you could take that with any sport really um, yes. depending on what it is, unless it is a strength sport, but um, ultimately they're, they're, they're trying to do better at their sport, not necessarily, trying to PR every single time now you know you know good organized training you know using principles proper recovery measures nutrition all that stuff will help the bar to change and to go up but uh, ultimately that's not the end-all be-all and I love that you went that way with it um, so you touched a little bit on injuries with jiu-jitsu people but um, this was one of the questions that I got off of social media is you know when it comes to very spe- or when it comes to injuries um are there any specific principles that you use to kind of work around them? And you could give the example with like an upper body injury or a a hip injury or stuff like that. Um, I'm sure that in your time of working with so many athletes, somebody comes to you with an ailment and you still want to give them something to get better with. Um, Do you have any specific methods or um, really philosophies around training, uh, uh, training around injuries?
1: Yeah. So the first thing to keep in mind is that Something is always better than nothing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just taking, being like, I'm just not going to train this until it heals on its own, uh, isn't a great uh, path. So, whatever modifications need to be made, let's let's go ahead and make those. And and that can happen at so many different levels. Starting, you know, with load. Certainly, maybe you have to train lighter. If you have to train lighter, then you can train it more frequently because it's not providing as much. Stimulate uh each session is not providing as much stimulus. So, you know, if normally let's let's say you have a, a shoulder injury that's preventing you from doing, you know, your pressing. That's if for example, if, if dumbbell incline bench is like your primary pressing exercise that you use, and typically you can do eighties for a set of 10, but right now it, it hurts to do anything more than forties. All right, well, let's do forties, but instead of doing that once a week. Do it twice a week or three times or four times a week because each of those sessions now is so much less fatiguing. So load is the, the first place to, to go, but you can also look at manipulating range of motion, you know, tempo, even small things like like hand angles, um, foot positions, you know, getting into other other exercises, but but if it's a, a knee injury, maybe and in, and it's preventing you from squatting. You know regular high bar barbell back squat if that's the the movement they're using, but you can still but box squat is pain free or box squat to a higher box or box squat with a slower tempo to a higher box and maybe it's a goblet squat to a to a high box if that's if goblet squat to a high box is the most that it can tolerate today or this week then goblet squat to a high box you know. Do goblets squat to a high box? Your face off, <laughs> you know, like you do it, <laughs> yeah. do it a lot because the the stimulus for each session is so much smaller when you're now reducing intensity and reducing range of motion. That the only place you can get stimulus from is is frequency and volume. So, uh, similar strategy that I use, like for a for a powerlifter, if let's say they have a, a shoulder injury or a pec injury that's preventing them from bench pressing full range of motion. Typical strategy we use is. To one, you know, reduce the reduce the load, and then beyond that, to reduce the the range of motion. So maybe we could use a six week protocol where they start off benching a five board press, and then four board, three board, two board, one board, back off the chest over six weeks, and that's giving them a graded exposure to the movements they're trying to get back to, um, and we'll also couple that with like reverse band pressing so they can keep the muscular suppleness for a full range of motion but when you have uh, someone in, in jiu Jitsu where you don't have you don't and this goes hand in hand with not being married to specific movements you don't have to do insert whatever exercise it is that that they were doing before you can always find a, a workaround to it even if it is you know several regressions down if that's the best that it, that it is for that day or that week, Fine, do that. Do a bunch. Do a bunch of it if it's a if it's a really far regression, but you know, being being creative in manipulating load, tempo, range of motion, uh, small uh, changes in technique like hand position, hand angle, uh, foot position, stance width, foot angle. Those can you know if, if just got to explore, explore and find which one doesn't recreate the symptoms, and that's. That's the one, you know, that whichever one isn't recreating the symptoms, that's the one you gotta, you gotta go with.
0: Yeah, I like that too. And and I can think a lot about just some things that I've taught my team over the years. And, you know, we, we started out primarily as like just a CrossFit gym and we've really turned into uh, a facility that, you know, we offer online and in-person individual training. We've got uh, group fitness. We have personal training. We have small group. Like we have a bunch of different things. But, you know, the the main principle and philosophy, philosophy that we've really changed over to over the past few years is, you know, just like you're talking about looking at movement categories, you know, and, and especially when it comes to like, uh, you know, the group fitness model, right? If you stick to a movement category inside of most of your training, if you do have those people that come in that have these ailments or these injuries, it's very easy. And and I like to call it personalizing instead of scaling, right? Like scaling is this common thing that a lot of group fitness people do They're like, Oh, you can't do a pull up. You're going to do a ring row. And I'm like, well, you know, if, if if it calls for a pull up, then we know that that's a, a, a vertical pulling motion that we have inside of our training today. How can we mimic that and allow them to do uh, like you said, like more volume to get, you know, the intended stimulus that we want. Um, so I love, that was a perfect answer. And, and, you know, even for my coaches that are listening to this, uh, I hope that they're able to kind of get that knowledge nugget from you. Um, so or, around that kind of same conversation for folks that have issues, uh, and this is another question off of social media, for. Um, Folks that still want to develop leg strength, but maybe have some sort of hip injury that keeps them from going to full depth and say, uh, you know, a high bar back squat or something like that. Um, What are some of your favorite like alternatives to developing leg strength if they do have issues with squatting to depth and things like that?
1: And their sport is not squatting to depth. It's not parallel. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean tons of other options. First off, you can just squat to the depth that you can. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's totally that's totally fine. You know having something running in parallel to that where you're addressing whatever restriction is stopping you from squatting to depth. Yeah, that's that's worthwhile to have in as well. But when your sport is not squatting, then insert any number of leg exercises and maybe it's more comfortable for you to do split squat variations, front foot elevated, rear foot elevated. Um, yeah, a lot of tons and tons of options within that. Um, you know, it could be heavy sled dragging or sled pushing options. Even I think for athletes, um, non strength sport athletes and even in certain phases, strength sport athletes, uh, by that, I mean powerlifting weightlifting strongman, um, Machine training is something that's really overlooked. It has such like a bad stigma among strength and conditioning coaches that like, oh, that's not functional or whatever. And and that's just a misunderstanding of what functional means. You know, a football player's function is to play football. You know, a jiu-jitsu athlete's function is to jujits people. <laughs> so, you know, squatting is not part of either of those definitions having stronger legs helps and the squat is a way to do that but also you know doing leg press or hack squat machine is a way to do that and that comes at a lower energetic cost a lower uh, you know neural fatigue along with it so now you have more energy to to do things that are more important really so yeah you know squat to the depth you can work on your on whatever issues are restricting the hip alongside of it but don't feel like you know the objective of that the questions uh, training is not to do below parallel squats in competition it's to get better at their sport which below parallel squats are not a part of so tons of Tons of different options. Yeah.
0: And that's where my brain went right away. It was like, you know, if you, if you can't squat to full depth, well, what's the goal, right? If the goal is develop leg strength, well, really there's 150 different things that we can do, um, to, to really work on that. And I, and I know, um, I know sometimes people get attached, and I'm sure you see this too, like people get attached to a specific exercise and they're like, man, I have to do this exercise because, you know, you know, this strength conditioning book says that I have to, um, and I know that that can be kind of a hard chain to break. Yeah.
1: and you know, I especially see that with with strength coaches coming from a sport background like I'm in that they're that they're powerlifters or strongmen or weightlifters, and they want to use their sport to train to train people. Um, you know, they, they want to train football players like powerlifters or or like weightlifters. Or you know, I, I wrote an article and this maybe eight years ago. Uh, about like why strongman training is not for athletes. It was based off of a video I saw on ESPN of a strength coach at the University of Florida. He's probably not listening to this, but if he is, he knows who he is and I still think he's dumb. (laughs) Uh, Ryan Lockby, the swimmer, with all these strongman exercises. And like not only is it pointless because generally those exercises aren't even as useful because they take more technique. You can't move as heavy of a load because of the awkwardness. So on and so forth as traditional barbell exercises. There's probably a slightly higher injury risk. And how many high school swimmers were watching this thing about their hero on ESPN? And they're like, "Oh, Ryan Lochte does log clean and presses? I better do that too if I want to be good at swimming. Good thing I've never lifted a weight in my life, and now I'm gonna, you know, be blowing my shoulders out left mm-hmm. and right. Like so, it, the the making that. And of course, you know, the, the guy emailed me back then and was like all pissed off about it and so i kind of researched it was and i was like okay like I, I get that you're like shitty at strongman and you want to use that as a <laughs> thing but like it's not worth it like i do strongman too but i don't train athletes like that because they're not doing, doing strongman so that's a trap that like so many people fall into that they're they like doing kettlebells so they're a kettlebell guy and that's what they have all their their athletes do and it's like trying to take from all of those different fields learn from powerlifters weightlifters You know, track and field coaches, bodybuilders, physical therapists, all that stuff. You want to, as a coach, be taking all that knowledge in so you can use what's appropriate when it's appropriate.
0: Yeah, that's funny, too. Recently, somebody asked me, they, they said, like, what's your what's your method of training? And I was like, hmm, good question. Uh, I really think of myself as like the mixed martial artist of coaching. Right. Meaning, just like you said, using powerlifting, using elements of Olympic weightlifting when it makes sense, using strongman when it makes sense, using elements of CrossFit when it makes sense. But ultimately making sure that I'm serving the goal of you know, the client at the best level and kind of meeting them where they are, right? Like you mentioned the high school swimmer that sees Ryan Lochte doing strongman who's never done a goblet squat, never done, you know, a really good, successful, controlled push-up, and then they're going to go and try to do all these crazy things. So I think it's important for really, just like you said, for coaches to kind of meet their client where they are and uh, uh, kind of leave the plan written in pencil per se, you know per se, so that they can kind of make manipulations, manipulations based off of their, you know, knowledge of things and then what will serve the client best. Um, so with that being said, Chad, you're a, a wealth of knowledge, man. You've uh, just through this conversation alone, you've kind of talked about a bunch of different, um, you know, athletes that you've trained and, and ways that you would approach it and stuff like that where does all that knowledge come from? Like where, you know, where does Chad Wesley Smith go to spend his time and to learn? Does he spend all this time reading studies all day? Like what does that look like for you as far as like how you continue your education and how you learn?
1: So definitely not reading the studies. You know, My, my degree is in history. Oh, nice. um, so I'm, I'm not particularly adept in reading a lot of uh, like scholarly journal type of stuff. Mm. Um, I've been writing my own training since I was about 14 years old, with a couple of small exceptions in that, so I started out, you know, scouring the the early 2000s internet for training information, which was so much so sparse compared to to what you see today, um, and then doing a lot of trial and error on myself, uh, and because we didn't really have like a strength and conditioning coach at my high school for football or anything. Uh, Sort of became like a de facto coach to some of my friends and teammates, and doing that, and and was fortunate, I think, because of my background in track and field, to get to be exposed to a lot of track and field coaches, where which tends to be the most you know far advanced uh, training because it is absolute limit to you know human performance and the fastest, the most endurance, the you know most explosive athletes and was never shy about uh badgering them with questions uh at track meets my my coach uh who even coached me through college um he was a college coach when i was in high school so he wasn't at track meets with me and i did not go to a athletic powerhouse by any stretch so i'd be like the only person from my school at these big these big track meets which you know if you have done uh track you know, are like eight to ten hours long, so I'm there. You know, with my parents or kind of on my own. You know, no teammates, no coach or anything. So I'm just sort of latching on to these other teams, and you know, I, for whatever reason, tend to try to latch on to the best teams, the ones with the best coaches. And hey, how are you guys training? Like I write my own program. Like, can you teach me about it? So that that started even you know 14, 15 years old with uh, was very fortunate to have two great throws coaches in this area, a guy named Tony Chiarelli, uh who's really like a world renowned coach for, for uh, throwing and weightlifting uh, and then another coach named Bill Pendleton who were very open with the, the information which they didn't have to be as I was you know technically a competitor to them. So it start, started with that. It started with with you know just being enamored with training from a young age. That's why I was bungee cording myself to trees in the backyard, um, and and being enamored with speed and power, and having some innate understanding, or you know, being told like I'd go to this this uh, throws clinic every year that Tony had, and every time he he would talk about throwers and the attitude that you have to have as a thrower, and he said throwers are the best athletes in the world, you know, the biggest strong. You know, Big guys who are super strong, super fast, super coordinated, um, all this stuff. So I was like, oh, throwers are the best athletes in the world. That's who I want to look at for training. So you know, I'm trying to learn about what, what was John Godina doing, what was Adam Nelson doing, what were guys previous generations doing, which places that were good at throwing, you know, East Germany, Russia. Uh, so sort of got an early pathway into a lot of that. And just never stopped, you know, as I'm getting recruited uh, to throw the shot put in college. Yeah, I I wanna, you know, and see the campus, whatever, stuff like that. Academic advisors, like, I really gave a shit about talking to those people, (laughs) you know, hang out with the guys on the track team, but more so, like, hey, you know, coach, can I talk to you about the training? Like, this is what I'm doing right now. Like, what do you think I should change? And as a college, I know the college track coaches, they're like so pumped on that. They're like, man, this guy's really into it. so, you know, getting great information from people who are coaching at you know, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, these big, big schools, uh, the coach who recruited me to the University of Arizona, I didn't go there, but uh, a guy named John Frazier, who, you know, eight, eight years or I guess 15 years after he recruited me there, you know, my phone rings one, one day and he's like, hey, Chaz, Coach Frazier. And I was like, oh, what's up, Coach? You know, how you doing? He's like, uh, can you come up here, do like a consult thing with me at, at he's coach at UCLA now so like now he was asking me questions so so like that that was really cool but it was always just like uh so into talking to coaches probably to the point like trying to take it right up to the point of annoyance where they're like kid I'm i done talking about this now we've been talking about it for three hours but you get people who love this stuff and they were they were so excited to have someone so eager uh to talk with about it. And you know so I was going to seminars for certain edition seminars when I was 19 years old, uh, like saving up all my money, and it was me and a bunch of like 40, 50 year old guys. Like the industry was just a lot different then. And I think there was some novelty to me being so young that people were maybe more open to talking to me about, about stuff. Uh, and then, you know, re- reading articles like way back, you know, Joe DeFranco articles, Elite FTS stuff, you know, when they used to only put out like four articles a week. I was printing those out, highlighting them, you know, post-it notes all over the stuff, just all the way into it. And then the, the more formative, I think the, the biggest impact on my understanding of coaching came in 2011. From 2011 to 2012, I had the good fortune to employ a man by the name of James Smith. Um, he has a web, I think his website now is Global Athlete Concepts. Or global sport concepts, one of those. And uh, if you've ever read something from him on, on Elite FTS, he writes as the thinker. He has some incredible books. Uh, they're very dense The Governing Dynamics of Coaching, uh, Applied Sprint Training. Those are his two newer ones. Um, he had older ones that I don't even think he sells anymore. but everyone had always talked about science and practice of strength training, super training, Yeah, you know, all, all these books, Russian translated texts. I'm like, a lot of coaches talk about that and they have no idea what it means. Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't know what, what comes out the other side. They might be able to recite some, some really complicated sounding stuff, but they don't really know how to practically apply it. James was the first person that I saw that understood it and his practical application of it. I saw it happen. and I was like, so it's the simplest, most intuitive answer, like every time. Yeah, basically. Uh, so all of the, these really complicated concepts and principles, once I saw him put them into practice for that year that he he worked for me and he's writing programs, it just became so much more clear to me. Uh, and then as I as I got higher and higher level, uh, as an athlete and coach, it gave me more and more access to other high level athletes and coaches. Uh, so, so now it's not like I, I don't really go to seminars or or even necessarily read articles so much. Like if I see a coach that I see something from them that seems interesting, I'm now in a position where I could just call or email that person and talk to them <laughs> about it. Because from the other side of it, they're probably excited to talk to me about something that they want to know from from me. So, you know, James is, is definitely the biggest Influence uh, on how my coaching is developed and then getting to spend a lot of time with guys like Mike Isretel, Max Ada Take, you know from Mike's sport physiology knowledge, uh, Dr. James Hoffman as well Talking talking with those guys getting the academic side of of things that I didn't have as a history major uh, You know that they're getting some practical stuff from me that they haven't had because they haven't worked with as high-level athletes uh, then getting the weightlifting side of things from Max and the physical therapy side of things from Dr. Quinn Henock, and you know being able to take take all of those and understand the principles that connect them all scientific principles of strength training type of stuff and, and how that idea of specificity principle number one changes the application of the principles, but the principles don't change. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much how it's gone.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, too. And and so, something I got out of that, and I want everybody listening to really get from it, <clears throat> excuse me, is, uh, and, and it took me forever to really figure this out, is that um, how important it is to, like, number one, it, you know, if you don't have the access that, you know, a, a Chad Wesley Smith has to where you can call up a coach, um, you know, pay them for their time, right? Like, download their stuff, buy their products, because I think... Uh, If if you're not able to um, hire them to coach you in being a coach, um, you want to try to get as close to that source as possible. And my my advice always to people when they're like, hey, you know, advice for up and coming young trainers, my advice is always like get a coach to coach you, Um, you know, get as close as you can to the coaches doing it at a high level, get their products, enroll in their classes, go to their seminars because – that's really the quickest way to, to kind of grow and stuff like that. Because rather than, you know, going to a smorgasbord and trying to read the studies yourself and stuff like that, it it just makes more sense to me to go to the person that's already applying that stuff rather than trying to read it raw and do it myself.
1: Yeah. And the, the amount, the abundance, overabundance in a lot of cases of information available to a coach now, I see how it could definitely be overwhelming, but it's also like frustrating to, Someone like me who I mean creates all this content and has 90% of the questions I, I get asked, 95%, 99% on social media or whatever, it's like, well, here's here's a 25-minute video I made about that exact topic. Maybe
0: Google it. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. I saw you, uh, I saw when you do those Q and A's and there's so many story answers that you have in there. And almost every time there's an article and right, you're like, Hey, check out this article, swipe up, I wrote about it. And you're not yes. kidding. That, that, that tends to be almost all the answers.
1: That is my ultimate goal yeah. is that every question, swipe up to watch this video. Yeah. You know, cause I'm not going to sit there I'm sure. and sure. write a you know, 10 page article or make a 15 minute video cause I already did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people can't take that for granted. Uh, because the people who came before them, they didn't have it as they didn't have so much of the information right at their, at their fingertips. And not to be like an old man on the lawn, like shaking my fist at it, but it's like, shit people, you know, like one, the answer's out there and there's so much value to in not being given the answer, but having to figure it out for yourself Uh, because then you can, Developing, I think, a deeper understanding of why this is working or why it's not, or why something that seems good on paper isn't actually as good in practice. Um, so, getting out there and, and training and making mistakes and, and critically thinking about what you're doing and continuing to assess it is invaluable.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Chad, I do want to respect your time. I'm sure you have uh, a bazillion things to do and probably more content to produce being uh, the way that you guys do. Uh, So, Chad, please plug yourself. What do you guys have going on over at Juggernaut? You know, what can you share with the listeners here?
1: Yeah, so biggest thing, Juggernaut AI app, now available for iOS and Android. Uh, You get our patent-pending expert system for just powerlifting right now, but it is making the most individualized program That I don't think a human coach can make the level of individualization that this is taking into account, you know, your gender, age, height, weight, strength, and all the lifts, experience, how many days a week you want to train, your sleep, diet, stress, weak points, all that stuff to create your initial program uh, with 10 quadrillion, over 10 quadrillion variations. So it's individualized volume, frequency, exercise selection, phasic structure, and then that program continues to adjust pre-session based on a readiness questionnaire that it gives you each day. we Will make a sort of micro adjustment to that day's session intra-session as you you know perform your sets and give give some feedback. It'll adjust the weight of the next set. It'll adjust the number of sets you have post-session. You'll how hard was that session? Kind of uh, one question questionnaire, and then it adapts. You know, so pre-session intra-session. Session to session, week to week, block to block, program to program. Uh, it's like having my brain in your pocket. Um, so that's you know the the app version just came out. That's over two years of of de- development for us. Um, so really really proud of that. Really excited to see it grow and continue to add new new features to it, new uh, new program types: power building, weightlifting, uh, jiu jitsu, strength conditioning. To that over time. So yeah, check that out, Juggernaut AI, all one, one word uh, in Google Play or Apple App Stores. Beyond that, JTSstrength.com, at Chad Wesley Smith, at Juggernaut Training, Juggernaut Training Systems, uh, YouTube channel, search that. Uh, actually, because we have so much content, and I know it can be overwhelming to people, we put together like an ebook that, I kind of curated all of our best content by topic uh, called Foundations of Strength and Conditioning. You can get that for free at JTSStrength.com and you just go in the table of contents you're like, I want to learn about squat technique and click on that and it takes you to the squat technique section and there's like, you know, five hours of videos about squat technique and I want to learn about, you know, program design for powerlifting and I click on that and, oh, there's 10 hours of videos on that. So you can just get that and watch all those videos instead of asking me the same question over and over on instagram it's funny
0: i was about to say instead of guys instead of messaging chad any of your questions just go to his youtube channel there's like a bazillion videos up there um you know shamelessly i spend lots of time on there learning myself so uh chad it's been an honor to talk to you today man um thanks for coming on all right thanks thank you so much for spending some time with me today and tuning into the virtuous fitness podcast i release episodes every single week. You can find me at Coach Cody Smith in the gym at Virtuous Fitness WA on Instagram to stay up to date with all things Virtuous Fitness. Before you go, head over to iTunes and give this show a rating and review. That is how we grow this show and make it even more impactful for you. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.